I've just about had enough of you. I think you'll be able to respect a husband who's probably pulled the scientific boner of all time. In my case, sir, the question is totally without meaning. Irony, one of the funniest forms of humor. I have made a woman. The tinsmith forgot to give me a heart. Think all is never wrong. Never wrong. Hello, good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Delete as appropriate. Welcome to another episode of 50 Years of Shit Robots with me, Matt Brown. Hello. And Stephen Murray. Hello. (laughs) Stephen, (laughs) this episode that we're about to record, I mean, it's sort of like the missing episode, isn't it? Yeah, it's been mentioned in a previous episode. It has. Um, So the first film we're going to talk about is called The Perfect Woman. It's a film that was made in 1949. Uh, the director is a bit of an interesting one. Bernard Knowles, he did make a science fiction film in 1965 called Spaceflight IC1, which had a, a, a cyborg in it. Oh, we'll have to have a look at that then. Oh, do we have to? <laughs> this is your rules. You came up with this. <laughs> yeah, we'll have a look at that. I feel like I'm a bit more completist about our mission than you are. Yeah, you are. So the idea of this podcast is that we are taking 50 years between 1927 and 1977, um, which in terms of cinema, each of those years had a, a beautiful, beautiful robot in a film. In 1927, it was Maria or False Maria in Metropolis. In 1977, it was Blumin' Old... Golden balls, wasn't it? Oh, whoa. <laughs> it was blowing yes. off C-3PO. C-3PO. Who is based on the look of Maria. Yeah, very yeah. much so. Okay, so so, what, so we've got those bookends, and then we're just like wading through the waters in between those two years and seeing, like, putting on our um, pince-nez and examining all of the robot films. <laughs> that we can that, find. That whole speech was about as flung together as some of the robots <laughs> we've gone through. <laughs> You've got references all over the place. Yeah, yeah. I, I did. I mixed a few different metaphors there. You I did, didn't you? But so this is one of those films that got a, a raised eyebrow from Professor Stephen Murray. Now, listen. Mm. Why did? Why were you so reluctant to watch it? Oh, it's a really terrible confession, but I'm not a big fan of British films. What? I know, I don't know why. I think I, I think my very first memories of films was French movies, watching them on TV. I don't, I don't know how that came about. Yeah. Uh, and then going, going to the cinema to see some British films and thinking they were really incredibly dismal compared to... <laughs> compared to American movies and compared to French movies. Yeah. And then, and of course, in, in the 60s, with the whole uh, kitchen sink dramas coming out of Britain, which which are brilliant. Yeah. But they're bleak, uh, a taste, bleak aren't they? A, a Taste of Honey is one of my favourite, favourite films. Okay. But they are and up, the junc- up the Junction and all of those films. Carry on Up the Junction. Are. No, no, Up the Junction, <laughs> which, is, uh, which is a film about abortion in... Clapham. That would have made a, a hell of a carry-on film, wouldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right, so you're not a big fan of, of British films. 
I wasn't then. No. And 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 then later on, I kind of watched lots of Ealing comedies. And I'm uh-huh. a huge fan of St. Trinian's as well. That explains your reluctance to watch and dissect Spaceflight IC1. Um, yeah, because I had dipped into it and thought, oh, this seems incredibly dismal. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I, I didn't realise that when we, when we sort of agreed that we would watch this sort of at the beginning of last week, the the odyssey that I was sending you on in order to, in order to just find a a copy of it. I know I ended up in Russia. <laughs> I mean, you have been wading through dark web territories, I, haven't you? I wouldn't let it go. No, I no. knew there had to be a copy out there. Yeah, I even I even emailed the the BFI, the British Film Institute, just just to try and find a copy. I mean, basically, if, if you Google Spaceflight IC One, and it uh, which I did, it, it does come up on lots of different sort of viewing platforms. But then when you click through, it says this film is not available. Yeah, this film yeah. is not available. So I mean, I I couldn't find it at all. Did the BF did BFI get back in touch with you? They did. Let me open my email. They said you don't need to watch this field podcast because it's awful. Yeah, what are you looking for this film for? It's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like it if there was a Cockney chimney sweep in yeah. charge of the BFI. All right. <laughs> so Rebecca Vick replied to me after I uh, I sent an email saying we're looking for this film I'm one half of a podcast 50 years of shit robots yeah uh, and this is this is our next film uh many thanks for contacting the BFI National Archive according to our database we do hold some master elements for this title but nothing that is current currently accessible to view sorry not to be able to help on this occasion now why is it why is this film so difficult to get hold of I don't, I don't know. I mean, a lot of the reviews I read about it, they're not kind. No, but, but we a, we don't tend to, like, destroy all the evidence of a film no, that we don't like. No, we don't, do we? <laughs> William Randolph Hearst attempted that with uh, Citizen Kane because, obviously, the main character, Kane, was uh, not even a, a pale imitation of him. It was him. Yeah. Uh, so he attempted to destroy uh, Nosferatu as well as another film where... Um, the the house of Bram Stoker, his wife, uh, deemed that it was too close to the novel and wanted every inch that they did destroy just about every copy. Really, and there was there was one or two copies left, and the, that is the only reason we have the film Nosferatu. Mind you, leaving leaving like sort of very early uh, silent stock for any length of time, it will burst into flames and explode. <laughs> right. <laughs> Or in the case of Nosferatu, you just expose it to light during the day and it will just burn. Brilliant. Love that. <laughs> I suppose there is also there's the, the sort of um, the, the tradition of the BBC to oh. wipe over stuff, you know, precious, precious early episodes of things because they didn't want to waste the, the stock. There was an early episode of Doctor Who that didn't have Doctor Who in it and they wiped it. Wow. And... A university uh, got hold of the script and recreated it and filmed it. And where can we see that? Uh, you can see it on YouTube. What I'll do is I'll I'll um I'll link to it in the show notes. But the BBC, the BBC, have just got this tradition of wiping stuff. Yeah. One of their biggest 
biggest TV programs. Given that there was only about 4 million televisions at the time, this was in 1953, by the end of this series, 3.9 million people were viewing. Just about everybody who had a television was watching this program. And it was 1953 as the Quater Mass Experiment by Nigel Neal. Now, I did a bit of research on that and I did a timeline because I think that the, think the influence of Nigel Neal is in this film. Okay. And so after that, Nigel Neal wrote a version of 1984 and that was so incendiary that questions were asked in Parliament whether or not certain scenes were, were, were deemed okay for TV. Right. And then in 1955, the Quatermass Experiment movie by Hammer appeared. 1959, The Twilight Zone, which I think is quite influential on this. But I did a bit of digging about whether or not that series was shown in England at the time. And ITV showed some episodes in the 60s. Okay. 1963, we have Doctor Who. And in 1965, we've got Spaceflight IC1. And and you you think that 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 all goes back to Quatermass? I think it does. And the original Quatermass TV show was wiped by the BBC. We have two episodes okay. and the rest of it is gone. So that it's, that, there is that link as well. Yeah. There is. And it was their most, this is, this is how draconian they are. It was their most popular TV series. Yeah. But they I mean, just had a, they had a very kind of um, stagey kind of version of it. Like players have a run and then they don't exist anymore unless yeah. you put the player back on again. And I think that kind of ethos was there. I mean, I suppose they were in a world where DVDs didn't exist or videos didn't exist. And, and it was probably quite difficult to, to imagine a world where people would have their own copy of a film or forward thinking. The Americans just taped everything, kept everything, and kept everything. Yeah. We are where we are, aren't we? We um, are. The sort of version you the version you ended up sending me, which is, uh, I mean, it's just hilarious because essentially it's uh, it's backwards. It's reversed. Yeah. yeah. So it's it's like looking in a mirror watching it. And it's got, it's basically the sort of first 15 minutes and the last 15 minutes. But for some reason, they've been cut back, backwards. So you watch the ending first and then you watch the beginning of it. And then there's a chunk in the middle missing. A huge chunk in the middle missing, yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's I don't know what the running time is, but I've seen about 30 minutes of this backwards just, and in reverse. It's just over an hour. Okay, so I've only missed, I've only missed half an hour of it. Yeah, the, the, the main half an hour. <laughs> but I feel that, actually, I don't, I mean, late last night, you found a, a, a complete copy yeah. in russia and, I did. You sent, and you sent it to me and i haven't watched it it's on a social media pla- a russian social media platform called ok.ru thinking about the title it's just setting me up isn't it for a complete <laughs> melt ok are you you won't be in a minute when you download this film <laughs> yeah so we're coming at this i mean i'm coming at this having only watched half of the film in backwards and reversed Watching it like that makes it more interesting and engaging. Yeah. So uh, let's begin at the beginning, which in my case was halfway through. <laughs> and me. And you as well. So, um, so yeah, the film is set in in the, the, the far future of 2015, which I would just love. love. 
just love that that at some point in the in the sixties was was just an, an an unimaginable sort of futuristic time, and we find ourselves on the deck of space flight IC one, which yeah. IC stands for interstellar interstellar colony, and essentially in twenty fifteen the Earth is screwed. There's too many people living on it, and so they are, are exploring uh, other other Earths. Uh, and so sp- the spaceflight IC one craft is traveling towards Earth two, and you've got uh, eight crew members on board, which consist of Captain Mead Ralston, his wife Jan. You've got then got Doctors Stephen and Helen Thomas, and you've got two other married couples who are held in suspended animation. Uh, you've also got uh, a few kids. Are they just the, the doctor's kids or are they other people's One of them. kids? Yeah. One of them is Stephen's child. That's right. So there are three kids. And also, crucially for us, you've got a robot on board who is um, Dr. Garth. And the captain of the ship, Mead Ralston, uh, is a sort of very Captain Blythe sort of character. He rules the ship with a rod of iron. And eventually they mutiny against him. He regains control and threatens to execute one of the doctors, then ends up being killed by one of the suspendedly animated people who he releases from suspended animation too soon and who this this person goes crazy uh, and ends up killing the captain. And that's sort of where it ends, isn't it? Yeah. The film starts one year into the voyage when they're approaching light speed. They are. They are. There's a brilliant bit of exposition at the front of this film, which is where there's this sort of general um, in, in uniform who speaks straight to the camera and who tells you all of, the, all of what I've just said, that there's an overcrowded Earth, other worlds are being explored. Flights to, the, to these other worlds can take 50 years to get to the planets and that we're about to witness one such flight. The people on board Spaceflight IC-1 are, are, are travelling to Earth-2, which is outside our solar system. So then I was Googling, where is the nearest habitable planet outside the solar system? And the internet said it's, it's Proxima Centauri B. Now, that is four light years away from us. And then I was thinking, well, the fastest spaceship we've got is Voyager. And that yeah. travels. That's traveling at thirty-five thousand miles per hour. So, how long would it take Voyager to get to to Proxima B? And the answer is seventy-three thousand years. Wow, which is quite a long time. But then, a bit later on in the in the story, it it transpires that they 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 are traveling close to light speed. So, so essentially, they they cover a couple of um of like stupid um points very early on in the in the film because they they essentially they say that they're traveling at near light speed and also they say that they have simulated gravity on board yeah. the ship which is a slight slightly disappointing because we've watched a russian film of the 1960s and an eastern european film where they'd spend great time and effort recreating sort of zero gravity on on studio sets which looks amazing yeah fritz lang's second film after metropolis was in in Frau in Mond, the woman in the moon, and he simulates a zero G as well. Does he? Yeah, it's with, so cool with, with liquid as well. Yeah. Do you re- do you remember 
a few years ago, there was a, um, I mean, it was not long after Big Brother, the the, the TV show started, and there was like a, a fr- an arms race amongst TV companies to create, uh, you know, the next big reality TV show. Oh, yes. And Channel 4 did one where they tried to convince people that they were in space. Yeah, I do. And they had to, they, and they had to get over the 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 zero g thing, and they did something like like this film does, where they just sort of said, "Oh no, we've we've simulated gravity," <laughs> and people were people readily believed it. weren't they a tad angry? <laughs> yes, <laughs> when they found out, yeah, that they weren't yeah. actually in space. That they, they were, were and they outside. were in like in Neasden or somewhere, weren't they? Yeah, they were, they were, they were in a big <laughs> hangar just outside of Cheadle. <laughs> um, so simulating gravity has a rich cinematic history, doesn't it? It's incredibly difficult, though. If you look at Sandra Bullock's film Gravity, I mean, that just that's a, a masterclass in yeah. how to do gravity and how much it costs. Yeah, I mean, essentially, like, like I think that when they do zero g stuff now they do it on the old vomit comet don't they they do which have is you the... ever seen the the oh there's a band called okay go that are famous for doing their videos all in one take yeah and they do one on the vomit comet which and the vomit comet is a, is a plane that um oh it, yeah it flies up and then nosedives and in in the nosedive you get simulated zero g I'm glad you said simulate because it's not zero G. It is literally you are falling. You're falling <laughs> at the same rate as the plane. That's right. And yeah. Everybody in the International Space Station, they they're not they don't have zero G. They're falling around the earth. Now this this film is directed by the same person who directed um another film that we've looked at, The Perfect Woman, hmm. whose name is Bernard Knowles. I mean, is he a notable British film director? No, he's a workhorse. He did plenty of movies. Yeah. The vast majority of the Hitchcock movies made in England before he went to America to make Rebecca and then make his his great, huge films. Uh, Bernard Knowles was assisted director. Actually, Spaceflight IC1 was his last film he directed, even though... Oh no, he did Magical Mystery Tour, didn't he? So actually, he's a pre- he is kind of like he does occupy a nice space in British film, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, he does. The okay. the writer Henry Cross of Spaceflight. Yeah, he wrote The Earth Dies Screaming, another film that we've watched this season. And the other little zinger, John Kearney, who played the Doctor. Stephen, yes, I thought I recognised he- him. He was Hylas in Jason and the Argonauts. Yes, of course he was. Goodness, so yeah. it is, in fairness, I know that you, you were reluctant to watch this film, but actually it's, it's, like, a, it's like the centre of a spider's web of robot films, isn't it? It may be fragmentary, but it's got a history. <laughs> it does. So in the, in, in the film, the bits that I saw, it's set in the far future and it's all about space exploration. Really, it's... The first sort of 15 minutes is about this the captain, Mead Ralston. In the story, he's recently married Jan. And he's so old, he's got one of those sort of ha- hairdos that's got like a perma wave in it. A Marcel wave. <laughs> yes, he does. And the very first scene is when he is contacting his mission base and speaking to a superior. 
and the superior has the conversation with Mead Ralston in front of a load of journalists. You know, everyone's very excited about this 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 mission. But the this this senior officer basically is really occup- preoccupied with whether or not anyone's pregnant. Yeah. <laughs> in this early sort of phase provides a lot of the sort of conflict for Captain Mead Ralston. He's basically he's, a, he's an older man who's married a, a very young, very hot wife. <laughs> and he and they can't get pregnant. Not only is he older than her, but he is absolutely charmless, isn't he? Oh, completely. I think this is where the parallel with 1984 comes from, because somebody did say it was 1984 in space, because he's incredibly draconian, and he will not... He, he doesn't want any joy there either, does he? No. If he's going to be miserable, the rest of the crew's going to be miserable. But there is an element of eugenics in this film. Right. Whereas the doctor, Stephen's wife... He find, finds out that she's got a disease that's going to kill her. But if we're back on Earth, then she would be able to be cured because they'd have some adrenaline. Right. And he says at one point, the reason why there isn't any adrenaline on here is because they didn't want the weakest to survive um, to get to the new colony. Wow. Because they get divided because half of them want to go back and save her. And, yeah. And the other half just want to carry on. Well, Captain Mead Ralston... He will. He, he will. He will have no truck with the idea of returning home. I mean, he basically condemns Helen Thomas to death, doesn't he? Yes, because he he refuses. He refuses to to go back for treatment, and then he refuses to let her have a baby because she's got about three years and she could have a baby. Yeah, and they can choose what sex of baby to have, and she choose. They choose to have a girl, so she goes to the captain, and he says no. Then she commits suicide. I missed all of this. <laughs> well, you did because you've only seen <laughs> you've only seen half of the film cut in two and <laughs> clagged together. Yeah, I've seen the DVD clagged edition, <laughs> the special clagged edition. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was really interesting that that you've got this captain who is and in the, another scene that I saw. So they're they're a year into this space flight, and they decide they're going to have a party to celebrate. The most yeah. miserable party ever. <laughs> yeah, but there's a there's an attempt by by one or two of them to to sort of have a bit of fun, and they decide they're going to have quote good time pills. They're mild euphoric pills. Yeah, but then in this in this party, Mead turns up and basically like goes crazy ass and hates the fact that anyone might be a, might be having fun. And says that he, he he gets all weird and angry about it, and confiscates all of the all of the good time pills. You both know the need for alertness and discipline on a project of this importance. I wouldn't say we've been short of either, Captain. Then I don't want the medical supplies used for cheap drunks. One man groggy on tranquilizers could kill all of us. There is a robot in this film. There is a robot in this film, but <laughs> but what's nice about about the bit the sort of version that I've seen. <laughs> So essentially what happens is is that in this very first scene where Mead is talking to his superior sort of via the radio waves he we are introduced to uh, Dr Garth who's the first what's it called a cycle man closed circuit man oh closed circuit man i completely misread it <laughs> um and it's i mean it's amazing that he's again built up to be this extraordinary futuristic you know 
he's basically the future of spaceflight because he's he's had all of his organs replaced by by machine. He sacrificed himself just to be a head in a bowl. Yeah. And when you see him, he is exactly that. He's he's his head is in an upside down goldfish bowl on, <laughs> on top of a cardboard box, which is the size of a human. <laughs> it's so brilliant. It's so good. And and in the and, and it's this very first interaction with Dr. Garth. You've got Mead Ralston who's chatting to his <laughs> to his superior. And Dr. Garth basically sort of interrupts this conversation and says, I'd quite like to speak to the superior. And Captain Mead basically says, no, you're not going to. And then and then Dr. Garth just looks really sad. And then that's it. That's the only time I ever saw him. So I have no idea why he was so sad about that. Yes, Dr. Garth. I guessed you were talking to Captain Burnett. I'd like to speak to him, if I may. I'm sorry, you know the regulations. But if you have a message, I'll be happy to pass it on. Me, surely you can... No message. So, Stephen, why was he so sad about not being able to chat to the superior? Well, he shouldn't be, because he has a conversation in the film with, with Stephen, the Doctor, and he says he has no emotions. He's He's been relinquished from emotions so he can function better. So really, when he's looking sad in his goldfish bowl because he's been given, <laughs> been given the shoulder, he's been thrown shade by Captain Mead, <laughs> and uh, he shouldn't really. <laughs> also, he just acts like he's like the ship's counsellor. He's like he's like a really rubbish Deanna Troy, mind you. Deanna Troy is pretty rubbish anyway. <laughs> and what's he doing? What's he doing on board? <laughs> no, no. He's taking up space, Matthew. He's not taking up much space, in fairness, <laughs> in his little cardboard box. <laughs> He's really sweet. He's really sweet. He chats. He chats to them, and he gives them advice because when when they when they're going to revolt against Captain Mead, the uh, one of the crew tries to find out where the guns are, and uh, and he say, "No, you can't. You can't access the guns. You will not be able to access the guns, and you really shouldn't." And he's he's quite sweet, brilliant. I mean, that first scene where Mead is talk is talking over the radio to his superior. We see we get a lot of design elements in in that scene. What did you think of the design of the interior of the space flight? Oh, Spartan, isn't it? <laughs> It felt really like a, Do- a Doctor Who episode, I thought. Yeah, there was some... I mean, sometimes the doors were, like, automatic and sometimes they were just doors. <laughs> yes. There was, there's a revolutionary point in science fiction and it comes with Star Trek Next Generation where the equipment that they're using suddenly becomes unrecognisable. Yeah. Previous science fiction films, you can see... You can, you can recognise stuff from school science uh, yeah. labs and things like that. And then with... Um, with Next Generation, they create these things called Akudagrams, and they were created by a guy called Akuda. So, yeah, and then all of a sudden, everyone thinks, right, we don't need to know what they're doing. Yeah. They're just doing stuff. Yeah. But, I mean, you're right, all of the all of the equipment is all just um, equipment that would have existed in 1965. Yeah, I think it? just about all of the science fiction films we've seen up to now is... Everything is recognisable, yeah. Even if it's just a switch, and then that all changes. Also, in this, we we see newspaper reporters as well, which I thought was fabulous. Are they newspaper reporters or are they just reporters? I can't remember. I think, what, yeah, I think what they're, they're just journalists. Just journalists, 
But I mean, ju- the journalists of the future, according to Bernard Knowles, essentially are burly men in knitwear, aren't they? Yes. <laughs> well, oddly enough, in uh, The Woman in the Moon, uh, the, the astronauts are in knitwear, really nice pullies. Right. So knitwear was seen as quite futuristic yeah. in the 60s. <laughs> Essential. It's cold in space. <laughs> and then we get to see another bit of tech. Oh, we do. With the holographic clown, Ho-Ho. Ladies and gentlemen, introducing Ho-Ho the Clown. Hello, children. Have we all been good today? Yes! Or have we been bad? Yes! Terrifying clown. Oh, my God. So she, they basically they they they're on their way to the, the adults are going to this party, and so they to, they, t- to take drugs <laughs> to take the good time pills, <laughs> and they basically put hol- the holographic clown Ho Ho in charge of the kids, and essentially you're just setting the kids up to have clown based nightmares, aren't you? Yeah, and it's uh, it's only about like two foot high, and it's dancing around on a sideboard. Yeah. He's really old and and slightly uh, talks like that. You know, it's, it's it's very crusty. The clown. Hello, kids. <laughs> um, do we get to see the robot Doctor Garth much in the film, or is he is he a bit of a minor character? He's a bit of a minor character. He pops up every now and again. He dispenses uh, bland bland advice, and then. Uh... <laughs> I mean, this and, film, and then, the poster of this film would definitely have quotes bland on it, wouldn't it? It's like a <laughs> yeah, review. <yeah. laughs> Dismal and bland. <laughs> but oddly enough, I felt quite nostalgic when I was watching it. Did you? For, I mean, yeah. for what? Well, being older than you and going back to the days of, you know, early Doctor Who and, and Nigel Neal and Quatermass and all of that, it did give me a little sort of frisson for that kind of thing yeah little tickle yeah a little tickle for talkative sci-fi yeah i, I mean i like i do like that sort of thing i when i was watching it i was thinking of um the film sunshine yeah yeah um and what was the film with sam neil where sam neil oh, oh, like the oh, 90s event film. horizon event horizon that's the other one i was thinking of which is again that sort of the space is sort of like neither here nor there really is it it's basically no you're watching a crew sort of break down. That's two films that I use to t- teach my students on how not to make science fiction. Films. Yes. <laughs> I've got a slightly soft spot. I mean, for both of them, really. I saw oh, yeah. them both in the cinema and I thought I, I had really high hopes for both of them and both of them ultimately let me down. Oh, completely. You've got, you've got two multi-trillion dollar projects and you people them with psychopaths yeah who hate each other yeah yes you mean that that. they're just flawed that's just it's just a massive flaw then you then you look at a film like alien and you've got a crew that are all miners engineers pilots yeah they talk over each other they talk to each other in a natural way they've got a job to do they don't have family at home because you know they're in stasis for months if not years on this job and they, they are who they are mm. and they communicate with each other beautifully they don't hate each other they tolerate each other yeah and it made it perfect 
But I mean, I suppose like films like Sunshine, Event Horizon, and Spaceflight IC One do revolve around having a psychopath on board, don't they? And and th- what that does to, I suppose that I mean, it's not a horror film, Spaceflight IC One, is it? But it's no, it feels but there like is a horror element. Yeah, it's got that sort of vibe to it. It's got that so they they revive another doctor to take the place of Stephen because he's going to get executed for yeah. treason, and the the revival of him doesn't work because it can only happen on a planet supposedly, and he comes out as some sort of zombie. Yeah, he does, and then kills Meads Rolston. He does. He strangles him with one of the tubes out of his arm. Yeah. Having watched the whole thing, what did you did you like it? Kind of. Yeah. Yeah. I did actually. Yeah. And so, I mean, have you got anything else you'd like to say about it? Uh, Elizabeth Lutyens is the music. Yes. And I don't know whether I mentioned this before, but her father was Edwin Lutyens, who designed most of the uh, cenotaphs throughout Britain. Oh, right, okay. Uh, for the But her mother was uh, Emily Bulwer-Lytton, and one of the Bulwer-Lyttons, Edwin Bulwer-Lytton, he wrote this novel with the opening line, it was a dark and stormy night. Ah. And that it was a dark and stormy night has become this thing. There's even a competition now where you can join the society and you've got to write a novel that begins with it was a dark and stormy night. Carry on. And they, they uh, give an award out to whoever produces the best. Oh. He wrote He wrote a book about Hollow Earth as well, which is kind of like the backbone of the Hollow Earthers. It's Hollow Earthers... A conspiracy thing. Yeah, like flat earthers, yeah. That people actually believe it's hollow. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. They they really? even bring they even bring Hitler in. I mean if you're gonna have a if you're gonna have a good conspiracy theory, get Hitler on your side. You saying it was a dark and stormy night reminded me of one of my favourite books about writing, which is Elmore Leonard's Ten Rules of Writing. Ah. And rule number one is never open a book with the weather. <laughs> For any budding writers out there, Elmore Leonard's 10 rules of writing are brilliant. But never start a story with the weather. So let's rate the robot then. Let's rate Dr. Garth. <laughs> how, how do you rate how do you rate him? You saw Well, I mean, I felt slightly sorry for him and intrigued. So I yeah, mean I'd I'd, well, I'd yeah, yeah. I'd give him a two for that. I mean it's almost a joke how how much they set him up before you see him as the future of space flight and then when you see him he's literally a head in a in a jar on a box i think he was possibly meant to have a bigger role because there's a lot of scenes that flash back to earth and there's the 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 these people are interviewed in front of a massive picture of him when he with was his body when he was yeah, yeah. before he was he was yeah. so th- robot robotized robot <laughs> butchered yeah i think uh i think he possibly had a larger role but he doesn't have a larger role so yeah i'd, I'd go with two two yeah yeah and that's not to say i didn't like him that's just to no. say that he was he looked awful <laughs> and didn't he do looked anything. awful and he was pointless yeah absolutely pointless absolutely pointless absolutely. well there we go uh it's the missing episode spaceflight ic1 i i will link i'll put the russian Russian malware link on our show notes but you've got to take take responsibility we could destroy whatever you do 
when you when you're watching it, it the, this thing pops up and says you, you've got to log in and the login is basically you give them your phone number don't don't do that and i'll also include the version that you sent me that i watched the yeah, backwards great. the backwards clagged version on daily motion <laughs> yes um well listen thanks so much for listening um we will be back very soon with another thrilling installment of 50 years of shit robots so until we meet again goodbye Goodbye. Can we expect a numerical increase of the personnel soon? That would be a great event, Mead. Yes, sir. It would be a great event. But nothing to report on that as yet, sir.